Welcome to my podcast, American Writers, 100 Pages at a Time. This is the third and final episode on Herman Melville's first novel, Typee. For new listeners, this is a podcast focusing on reading American writers systematically using the Library of America as a guide. If you're just tuning into this episode, you're encouraged to go back and listen to the previous two episodes where I cover the earlier sections of Typee. In the early part of the novel, a sailor, Tomu, or so he's named by the natives, deserts from his ship and arrives at the valley of the Taipei, a tribe of cannibals. Unable to escape, he, uh, due to, he must take in the hospitality of the islanders. While doing so, he becomes a bit of an ethnographer, recording the lives of the people of the island. He comes to the conclusion that it is impossible for the westerner to fully understand the people of the island. Tomo remains in this mode of ethnographer after coming to a major conclusion that he could not come to any real understanding about the meaning of the festivals and rituals he sees. Whatever religion they have is degraded and, ig and ignored. Without being able to penetrate the mind of the Taipei, Tomu focuses on the bodies, which he sees as almost universally perfect. At one point, he compares them to a sculptor's model. He determines that it's the diet and lifestyle of the people that account for their impressive physical form. He predicts that this will only last as long as the Taipei remain unaffected by the West, and in particular Christianity. And thinking ahead to Omu, his second novel, Melville also makes this point that the people living the most farthest inland, farthest away from European contact, are healthier and just look more beautiful. He makes pains to show the reader that he is not the first to come to this conclusion about the people of the Marquesas by citing authorities from explorers of the region. The beauty of the people is juxtaposed to be a reminder of how limited European contact has been in this particular valley. The government of the island is the topic that Tomu next explores. To get into this, we're given a short vignette where Tomu fails to repair a musket that the Taipei come across. Tomu tells the chief, Mehevia, that the gun is simply too complex to be repaired. In contrast, the government and the social structure of the island is very, very simple. He uses the same language as Tocqueville does for Americans praising Taipei's equality of conditions, the exact wording, equality of conditions. Is he deliberately trolling Tocqueville, who said the same thing about the United States? I don't know. There are chiefs who seem to command absolute authority and are obeyed, but there's no formality about it. Below the chiefs, there doesn't seem to be any social distinctions at all. He is not lumping all the people of the Pacific together as egalitarian. He gives several examples of other island people who are ruled by utter despotism. Mahevi's informality is exposed by his relatively open sexual relations with the women on the island. Tomo uses this observation to try to get into the head, to try to get his head around the sexuality of the island, something that has always been under the surface when Tomo was describing his own experiences, but slightly more frankly discussed when he puts on the hat of the ethnographer. At first he thought there was no marriage at all among the Taipei. He later finds out that this is incorrect, but there's neither strict monogamy. Divorce tends to be without any rancor. Once again, we learn that the negative impact of Europeans on the islands. Tahiti was utterly destroyed by venereal diseases brought in by Europeans who took advantage of the more liberated sexuality of the islands, or at least this is what Melville reports in Taipei. It is therefore not free sexuality that is a problem, but the European uses and misuses of it. In this section, we get a great summary of Melville's argument. And here I'll quote him directly. 
Let the savages be civilized, but civilize them with benefits, not with evils. And let heathenism be destroyed, but not by destroying the heathen. The Anglo-Saxon have expurgated paganism from the greater part of the North American continent, but with it they have likewise expurgated the greater portion of the red race. Civilization is gradually sweeping from the earth the lingering vestiges of paganism, and at the same time the shrinking forms of its unhappy worshippers. End quote. Melville is rather bleak in this passage, assuming that Europe will come eventually, Christianity will come, and with it the island will be emptied. Civilization always brings its vices and withholds its benefits. So there, I think, is Melville's thesis in Taipei. Tomo's attention next goes to the general social contract among the Taipei. He wonders why there can be social order and peace, yet no coercive mechanisms except for the taboo. No courts or police regulated the lives of the people. He suggests that it is an internal and shared perception of nobility that keeps order. There is a, there's private possessions, but no jealousy or theft. Tomu has little understanding of real property. Certainly, there's no title deeds there. They apparently were able to maintain the system of property by essentially being good people with good shared values. In short, they have nothing to fight about, no reason to steal, because there's no toil and there's no inequality. Now, that's with the exception of the chiefs, of course. Now, the next four chapters cover minor, relatively minor ethnographic questions, such as fishing, culture, music, the practice of tattooing, and the natural history of the valley. Um, there's not that much here that, that may interest modern readers, but the most important plot point in this section is the pressure the Taipei put on Tomu to begin being tattooed. This provides great anxiety for our hero because accepting the tattooing would be akin to deciding to stay on the island permanently. And we think back to how happy the islanders were when uh, Tomu put on you know, native clothing. Despite all his kind thoughts about the Taipei, he feels uncomfortable and to some degree he never feels safe. Cannibalism is never far from his mind. Now Marno's return to the valley provides Tomu a chance to escape the island. He becomes determined to work out a plan for escape. And the story takes on a bit of a kind of a, an intrigue, almost a, a quasi-adventure story towards the end. Marnu, though, is baffled why Tamu would want to leave. Why you no like stay? Plenty moi moi, which is sleep. Plenty kiki eat. And plenty wehene, young girls. Readers enamored with Taipei life may ask the same questions, but Tomo clearly feels uncertain about his future. Ironically, it's the very lack of total freedom that makes Tomu want to return to the security of the West. He witnesses some harpar head being brought back after a battle or a fight or something, but notices that one of them, one of the heads was a European's. The pressure to get tattooed and therefore become part of the valley increases. As his, as his anxieties increase, so do the pain in his leg. The pain in his leg acquired on the island waxes and wanes with the terror and loneliness that he feels. Cory Cory needs to carry him, and that becomes a clear symbol of, in his mind of his dependence and his helplessness. The plan he works out is really quite simple. He's going to flee at night. Weeks pass, however, and he never gets his chance. He eventually does get his chance during a heated discussion over whether the Karkoui from Nukuhiva Bay should be allowed to purchase Tomo's freedom. Tomo jumps into the water and, after a brief battle, fend off the Taipei. Tomo makes it to a ship called the Julia the last in a series of captivities during the island, during the novel. 
The first of these was the whaling ship he originally served on. Second was the brutal and unforgiving nature, forcing him to flee into the native's valley. And the third was the Taipei themselves, welcoming and generous, but always somewhat threatening to him. And the last would be yet another European ship. In the second edition of the novel, Melville included a brief sequel that documented what happened to Toby, his companion who escaped the island much earlier in the adventure. Toby was put under the power of a European Jimmy, who European named Jimmy, who purchased Toby from the Taipei. Jimmy then sold him to a whaling ship, making it impossible for Toby to return to help his friend. The brutal use of force forms an interesting parallel with the brief with a brief appendix that Melville adds to the narrative which centers on the mass incarceration of women in the Sandwich Islands, or Hawaii, for escaping, for engaging in non-monogamy. Melville's point seems to be that, once again, the Western influence corrupted the lives of the islanders. But it does seem to work in two possible ways. Did the imposition of the law, the monogamy law in Hawaii, transform something that had been benign into something evil? That seems to be what Melville said happened in Tahiti with the rise of deaths due to venereal diseases. Or was the corruption of the West in the form of the law itself? He seems to suggest a second interpretation, showing that the law allowed whites to profit off the suppression of sexual liberty among the islanders. The vigor with which the laws concerning licentiousness were at the pe that period enforced enabled the general to monopolize in a great measure the detestable trade in which he was engaged, and there consequently flowed into his coffers considerable sums of money. It is indeed a lamentable fact that the principal revenue of the Hawaiian government is derived from the fines levied upon, or rather the licenses taken out by vice. That ends the quote. He concludes that if the goals of the missionary were achieved, the government would simply lose all revenue. So now I'd like to go move over to the part of the podcast where I'll talk about the important themes explored by American writers. The goal of this is to create kind of a running lexicon or a thematic index that will help us cross-reference American writers and also provide you know, closure to particular books. The first theme I want to emphasize is the American empire. Melville distances Americans from much of the story. The real threat to the independence of the Taipei are the French and their warships. Yet Melville takes pains to lump American missionaries and even sailors as the force of corruption. And of course, he ends the novel talking about Hawaii, which was being heavily colonized at the time by Americans. We can go so far as to say that the theme of this novel is the poison that the West brings to the societies that they conquer, or even just Im impact or effect. The formula that the West brings in all of the bad and none of the good runs throughout the entire novel, and it's going to be really strong theme in the second novel Melville wrote, which is Omu. A second theme is work and the, and the work ethic. Although the documentation of the life and culture of the Taipei dominates the text, the book starts with an act of resistance to work. Through a poorly justified excuse, our hero abandons his ship and all his legal commitments, abandons his comrades. The impact of this on the running of the ship and the few sailors uh, and the fellow sailors will be explored in greater depth in the next uh, novel, Omu. In addition to this resistance to work, we are explicitly told that the Taipei don't work in any sense that Americans could understand. They are in what anarchist writer Bob Black called a ludic life. One feels that the greatest corruption that the West can bring to the Taipei is the work ethic. Next theme is democracy. Melville wrote Taipei at a time when the United States was coming to terms with being a democracy. 
And Melville was very much a critic of the way democracy was working in practice. I don't get the sense that he's anti-democratic, though. Melville points out in this context that the Taipei have managed to form a political system with, quote, greater general equality of conditions, with most of the evils, without most of the evils of the American social system. So instead of being anti-democratic, he's questioning America's approach to democracy, and particularly the way that American democracy comes at the expense of so much evil and religious zealotry and... I guess capitalism, if you want to come down to it. Another theme is sexual freedom and repression. And this is running through the entire novel. It's a huge theme in the book. And it's striking how openly Melville discusses sex at a time when most writers avoided the subject altogether. He even discusses homosexuality directly when imagining that, quote, buggery island is the destination of lost ships. More subtly, it is hard not to notice Tomu and perhaps Melville's admiration for the bodies of Pacific Islanders, and particularly Pacific Islander men. The liberated sexuality of the Islander women is what comes through on every page as well. In countless ways, Tomu is titillated by the Islander women. The lack of sexual repression among the Islanders fascinated and inspired Melville. His last act on the island is to embrace Feoe, suggesting that she will be the one experience on the island he could not easily turn his back on. Next, we have race and whiteness. Race is a major theme that American writers, since the very first European explorers land, you know, landed, um, had to come to terms with. And of course, the United States is built on the back of, of slave labor. Tomo struggled to maintain his identity as a European in terms of clothing and in his goal of resisting tattooing. Those two things, clothing and the tattooing, become almost a, a racial totem that Tomo is trying to avoid um, being associated with. Part of the threat that Tomu felt among living among the Taipei is that he lost um, some of the freedoms. Now, are these the freedoms that he enjoyed as a white man uh, in American society or within the more comfortable context of American imperial enclaves like the Bay of Nukahiva? Um, now, this is something we can really think about when we go to the next book, Omu, because it's set almost exclusively in places where there's a lot of European colonial contact. The final... Um, theme is violence. Tomu ends the novel fighting the natives like any other imperialist would. This is despite condemning the violent imperialism of the French in the Marquesas at the opening pages of the novel. So we kind of begin the novel with violence and we end it with an act of violence. Melville, or Tomu I should say, can return to the West but only by embracing this kind of violent heritage. Now Taipei was the most popular of Melville's work during his life. To modern readers, Taipei reads like two interconnected stories. The first is an adventure story of survival and escape. Tomu and Toby are pushed by nature to face their fears. They accept the risk, but work for the rest of the story to escape their condition. At the climax, climax Tomu achieves his victory and secures his freedom. So that's kind of the adventure story. There's not that much to it, but it, it keeps the story, it keeps the novel going. The second story is, of course, this ethnographic travelogue. Now, these were very popular in the 19th century. Uh, Twain's first major books were, of course, travelogues. Um, and many other writers tried that and explored it. And they, they were consumed ravenously by the American public. Melville was wise to use this genre to, to begin building his audience. And, you know, as biographers of Melville know, he never really got that much of an audience. Most of his works were, didn't sell well during his life, but that's another issue. 
Of course, modern readers are less seduced by the tales of foreign ways of life. Maybe because those differences are being muted by modernization and, and just globalization. This is not to say that we have nothing to learn by, about the, from the indigenous culture of the Marquesas. But the feeling of them as a real alternative probably can't touch us quite as directly in a world where there's perhaps fewer clear alternatives to, to our way of life. Well, that's my final thoughts on Typee. Thank you for listening. Please help me develop this podcast by sharing, commenting, and subscribing. Your input and experiences with these writers will really strengthen this podcast, and I really look forward to hearing from you. I'm especially interested in knowing how these American writers have influenced you or touched you or, or shaped your life. Next week, we'll continue the story of Tomo, who now takes on the name Taipei. That's kind of a badge of honor for his um, escape from the Taipei Valley. And it's a new set of adventures in the South Pacific, uh, particularly in the Society Islands and Tahiti. And this is in Melville's second novel, Omu. So I'll see you in 100 pages.